0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, uh, welcome again to Faith. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the staff here. It's great to have you here with us as we are in week three of our series, uh, Truth Versus Love. If you're uh, maybe here for the first time this weekend, you're like, what's this all about? Well, really what we're doing in this series is we're, ju- we're just recognizing that the world we live in today is oftentimes pretty Polarized. We live in a a this versus that, an either or, a one versus the other kind of world. And it's easy for that, that polarized kind of thinking to creep in to how we approach the concepts of truth and love. We oftentimes tend to approach our lives and our relationships with this idea that either I'm going to be loving towards somebody or I'm going to be truthful with that person. It's either or, it's truth versus love. Uh, The first weekend of this series, we we looked at the, uh, the words of one of the very first followers of Jesus, a guy named John, who in his second letter to the churches wrote, he said, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with you in truth and love. And one of the things we talked about how is that John is pushing us to get beyond truth versus love and to realize that it's not truth or love, that for followers of Jesus is supposed to be truth and love for us. And then we, in the first week we looked at John's biography of Jesus' life. And in the first chapter we saw that Jesus himself was somebody who was full, right up to the brim of truth and love. Which means that if we're going to follow Jesus... It can't be either love or truth for us. It has to be truth and love for us. Trouble is, though, we all tend to lean one way or the other. We just have people that are naturally love people. In fact, who are the love people in the room? Just give me an aw. Aww. Yeah, yeah. And who are the truth people in the room? Give me an er. <laughs> That's right. I <laughs> you're one or the other. It's just how you're wired. All right. And so we, we tend to naturally go one way or the other, but to do that is not to follow Jesus. And to do that doesn't work. You see, when, when, when I lean into love at the expense of truth, I, rub, I rob love of how it was meant to function. And when I lean into truth at the expense of love, I rob truth of how it was meant to function. To do one or the other doesn't work. Now, last weekend, we looked at this. Pastor James just kind of walked us through how how love without truth is powerless. It's powerless to save a person from the death and the destruction and the devastation that sin will bring to bear on their lives. I may say, oh, I'm I'm being loving. I don't want to say that harsh thing. I I, I don't want to ruin our relationship. But by failing to give truth in the name of love, I am party in that person's destruction, and that is not a loving thing to do. And so last week, James just kind of walked us through how love without truth is powerless. And this weekend, as we continue, we're going to see that not only is love without truth powerless, but so is truth without love. But before we dive into all that, let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this. So would you pray with me, please? Father, just as we uh, get started today, thank you just for the goodness and some of the life that we see around us in times that are incredibly difficult. Father, thank you for the birth of Caden Roberts to uh, Mark and Kirsten. um, Just grateful that they're growing the church biologically. Father, just pray that you would touch their son, that you would draw him to yourself, that you would protect him, that you'd surround him with people who know you and who love you, and that we've just got new life that we get to celebrate in our midst. Father, we pray for Pastor Dennis, just as he's going to be starting radiation treatment this week, for your hand of mercy and healing on his body for him and um, just for his family as they're in Texas and they're just walking this road together. Please help them. Father, just as we look at um, stories that Jesus is going to tell today, Father, I pray you would make our hearts receptive to you. Meet us in this time. Pour your spirit on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, to to help us just wrap our brains around this idea of, of truth at the expense of love. We're gonna look at three stories that Jesus told in Luke 15. So if you've got advice you wanna follow along, you can pull up Luke 15. Um, in Luke 15, Jesus is kinda of getting into it with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. If, if, if ever there is a truth crowd, it's this crowd. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the folks who in Jesus' day, they knew their Bible backwards and forward. These are the folks who knew the rules and who kept them as far as anybody could see. These are the folks who are going to be the conservative crowd, the moral crowd. These are the people who work hard Monday through Friday and go to church on Sunday. These are the folks who know the right thing to do and you can count on them to do it. The the, the Pharisees and the teachers of law, they don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't go with girls who do. They're the good folks. And they would get really frustrated with people who didn't keep the rules as well as they did and they would blast those folks with some truth about it and let them know they weren't going to have anything to do with those folks until they got their lives straight and that's what gets them into trouble with Jesus and what gets Jesus into trouble with them because Jesus on a regular basis he is interacting socially in significant ways with the tax gatherers and the sinners People whose lives aren't the nice, neat, clean things that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees were. Jesus regularly interacts with people whose lives are a train wreck. And, And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, that winds them up. They're like, Jesus, what are you doing interacting with these folks? And when you are, why aren't you taking that opportunity to blast them with some truth? And so they kind of go off on Jesus. And in response, Jesus tells them three stories. Stories that are meant to to highlight values that he has that are different from the values of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Goals that he has that are different from their goals. And three stories that, that are meant to highlight how their truth without love is powerless. How it doesn't work. How it robs truth of what truth is meant to do. Jesus' first story is found in verses 3 to 6. And it's, it's a story of a guy who's got 100 sheep, and he loses one. And the guy panics, and he, he leaves a 99 to go and look for the one. And, and you can find yourself thinking, well, what's the big deal? You Like, you lost one out of 100, you still got 99, what's all the kerfuffle? Here's the thing. In Jesus' day and age, when you lose one of your 100 sheep, you have basically lost 1% of your net worth. Now if you think about this, this this is kind of a big deal. I and mean, kind of think about your net worth. Like you know, you the value of your home, the value of your vehicles, your furniture, your jewelry, maybe a year's salary, you know, your savings, your investments. You, you add all of that up. And you multiply by 1%. And all kinds of us here in this room could easily come up with a figure somewhere near 3 grand. Now what are you going to do if you misplace $3,000? And I know you would never misplace three thousand dollars. Your spouse is the one who's going to do that, right? You know, you're the responsible one. Your spouse is the responsible one. Amen. Huh? <laughs> you're like, can I say amen to that? If your spouse is sitting next to you, it's not a good idea. All right, I'm setting you up. If you've got you know, like a you know a child in between the two of you, maybe. But if you lose three grand, you're going to search for it. And when you find the $3,000 that you misplaced, you're jazzed. And that's what the guy in this first story is all about. He loses the one, he goes searching for it, he's super excited when he finds it. Now, Jesus' second story is about a woman who loses one of her ten coins. Now, again, who loses one of her ten coins? I ain't touching that. <laughs> No way, uh-uh, uh uh-uh. But she loses, she loses 10% of her net worth. Now what are you gonna do if you misplace 10% of your net worth? You're gonna do what the woman in the story does. You're gonna turn your home upside down and inside out. You're gonna pull out every drawer, you're gonna turn it over, you're gonna open up every cupboard, you're gonna get out your flashlight, you're under the furniture, you're up in the attic. You are not gonna rest until you find that 10%. And that's what this woman does. And when she finds it, she will tell anyone who will listen about what was lost and what is now found and how excited she is about it. Now, just stop and ask yourself, why? why? Why is this shepherd, why is this woman, why are they so concerned over what they've lost? Why do they look so hard To find it again. It's because 1% and 10%, that's a lot of money to them. It's because what they've lost is valuable to them. And Jesus makes that point as he ends both of those stories in verses 7 and 10. Jesus basically says to the truth crowd, "Hey, hey, the way you feel about your money The way you value your stuff, that's how God feels about people who have wandered away from home and need to find their way back again. And then Jesus, he tells his third story. Now, Jesus' third story, it's a story about the two lost sons. And and it's a difficult story for preachers because of all the stories that Jesus ever told, this is probably the most famous one. Which means that the people sitting in the seats that you're talking to have usually heard this story just an untold amount of times, and they're bored with it, and they become numb to it. Here's the good news. Jesus' third story actually has two parts. And it's usually the first part that we tell in church that people have become numb to, and it's usually the second part that we ignore and we never get to in church. And it's the second part of the story that's really most relevant to what we're talking about today. So we've got to go through the first part to get to the second part, but the second part is where we're going to camp. Now, in Jesus' last story, the the story of the lost sons, you have a man who has two sons. So we've we've gone from 1% to 10%, now to 50%. And the younger of the two sons comes to his father, and he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Which if you're familiar with the story, you know how incredibly insulting that is. The kid has basically said, Dad, I don't want you, I I don't want a relationship, I just want your stuff. And cuz I don't wanna wait around for you to die in order to get it, will you just give me what I've got coming when you kick it so I can get on with my life. Now as unthinkable as it is for a kid to say that to their parent, perhaps just as unthinkable that the dad says yes gives the kid one-third of his estate. That would have been his inheritance. And we're told that after he does, that the kid sets off to a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth on wild living. In other words, junior mints, he goes to Vegas, and he parties his brains out. But eventually the money runs out, the economy tanks, the best job he can find is little better than unemployment, and things get so bad that eating garbage seems like a viable option to him. And it's at this point that he has a breakthrough. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Kid figures out, Mom and dad weren't out to get me. They weren't out to ruin my fun. They kind of had life figured out better than I did. And, I, and I've like flushed my toilet with dad down, you know, flushed my relationship with dad down the toilet. I've, I've kind of flushed my relationship with God down the toilet. I don't deserve a relationship with either one, but, but maybe if I go home, maybe dad will extend some measure of mercy and grace and forgiveness to me. And so off the kid goes. And dad has been watching for him. And when dad sees him, dad runs to him and dad calls out, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and he is alive again and he was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Dad throws a party. Because just like the sheep, just like the coin, what was lost and what was valuable to him has been found. It's been brought home again. And that's usually where we stop with Jesus' story here at church. But in Luke 15, Jesus' story doesn't stop there. Jesus continues. He says, Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, Well, what is going on? Your, fa- your, your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became what? Angry. The older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours who squandered your property on prostitutes comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again and he was lost and he was found. Just stop for a minute and think. Why is older brother so angry? Why why is he just jump up and down mad here? A couple of reasons. He's mad about what younger brother did. He's mad about what younger brother did to dad. He's mad about what younger brother did to the family. He's mad about what younger brother did to him. And then younger brother just kind of waltzes home. And dad throws a party for him. And that makes older brother angrier still. Because in older brother's mind, this is a perfect time to give younger brother an unadulterated dose of the truth. This is hammer time. Not parachute pants hammer time. This is like, you know, get out the hammer of truth and knock younger brother upside the head with it. See, this is time to make younger brother pay for what he did. And truth is an excellent opportunity To make younger brother pay. And your dad instead, dad's going to throw a party instead. And, And older brother's just furious about what younger brother did. And he's furious about how dad is responding. Doesn't dad get it? Younger brother's got some retribution coming. And this is the time to deliver it. See, oftentimes, when you have someone who lives into truth at the expense of love when you peel back that truth and you dig down a little bit, you find somebody who's angry. Somebody who's angry about what's been done that shouldn't have been done. Somebody who's angry about what hasn't been done that should have been done. And oftentimes, their truth-telling, it's way more about making somebody pay for their indiscretion than helping somebody realize their indiscretion. You, you dig beneath the surface of their truth-telling, you find this anger, and you discover this is way more about retribution than it is redemption. See, older brother, he was mad. Younger brother just comes waltzing in, dad throws him a party, and, and older brother's like, oh, "You come on, this isn't party time, this is pound of flesh time. Now, older brother, he'll dress it up. He'll dress up his retribution in some virtuous clothes. Oh, I'm just, I'm just giving it to him straight. I'm just telling him what he needs to hear. I'm not going to hold back. I don't want to hurt him. But in the end, for older brother, this is really about making younger brother pay. Now, here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus is not afraid to deliver hard truth. Jesus isn't afraid to tell the truth, and he isn't afraid to deliver difficult-to-hear truth. He did this all the time in the New Testament. For example, Jesus has the woman who's caught in adultery. The last thing he says to her is, go and leave your life of sin. Jesus has the audacity to tell her that the way she is living is out of bounds with God, and it needs to change. Or you have the man who Jesus heals by, by the pool, by the sheep gate. Jesus says to him, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Here's a man who has been disabled for years. And Jesus has the audacity to say to him, look, your disability is the direct result of your sin. And if you don't knock it off, it's going to get worse rather than better. What does Jesus say to Peter? Peter's like, Jesus, you don't need to to cross to get the crown. You can rule the world, you don't have to suffer. Get behind me, Satan, you don't have in mind the things of God. Can we agree, when somebody calls you Satan, that's kinda some hardcore truth-telling, right? You don't have anything to do with what God has in mind. That's some hardcore truth-telling. Jesus wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when the truth was difficult. It's just that Jesus approached truth differently than the teachers and the Pharisees of the law. For for the teachers of the law, for the Pharisees, truth wasn't a means to an end. It was the end itself. Truth was the ultimate goal. As 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 long as we're delivering truth, that's all that matters. And and for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, truth was a weapon that they would bludgeon people with, that they'd make people pay with. For Jesus, truth wasn't the ultimate goal. Redemption was. He wasn't afraid to tell truth, but that wasn't his ultimate goal. Redemption was his ultimate goal. And truth wasn't a weapon. Truth was a tool. Truth was the tool that Jesus used to try and move a person's life towards redemption. And Jesus, he interacted with truth differently than the Pharisees and the teachers of law because he understood the truth void of love. Truth given at the expense of love. It Doesn't work. You see this in his story with both of the brothers. Like like for the older brother, truth without love doesn't work for older brother. Instead, it leaves older brother blind in a couple of different ways. Like older brother, he's blind to the father's goodness in his life. He'll accuse dad, he'll say, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I'm I never disobeyed your orders, and yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And dad says, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. What are you talking about? My goodness is completely accessible to you. But older brother, so intent on his truth-telling, he can't see that. See, this is another thing about people who tend to lean into truth at the expense of love. When when you dig beneath the surface of their lives, you will oftentimes find unhappy people. And oftentimes, their unhappiness, whether they realize it or not, whether they'll verbalize it or not, their unhappiness is directed towards God. God's been holding out on them. God hasn't taken care of them. God hasn't given them what he should have. God hasn't protected him the way that they should, the way that they deserve to be protected. You will find unhappy people who are truly, God's the one they're unhappy with. And they take their unhappiness out on the people around them and they do so in the name of truth. All the while blind to the fact that the goodness of their father is accessible to them. Older brother, he was blind to the father's goodness. And older brother was blind to his own sin. See, it's true. Younger brother, he just, he just, he, he asked dad for his stuff and really didn't care about a relationship with dad. And that makes older brother so angry. But when you, when you examine older brother a little bit more closely, you discover he does pretty much the same thing. The ugliness that he despises in his younger brother, it's present there in his life as well. Again, older brother says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, and you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Younger brother's just like, look, I don't care. I ain't got time for you to die. Give me your stuff. He doesn't care about a relationship with dad. just wants his stuff. Older brother, there's no desire for a relationship here. He just wants the stuff as well. He just thinks, if I'm a good kid, if I follow all the rules, then I'm going to get dad's stuff. But it's not dad that he wants, it's still just dad's stuff that he wants. Again, he just dresses his ugliness up in something a little bit more virtuous. But his heart is in the same place as his younger brother. See, this is another thing you see with people who tend to lean into truth at the expense of love. They're oftentimes judgmental and hypocritical. They they will jump all over somebody when their life is out of alignment with truth. And all the while, they can't see how ugly and broken their behavior is as they're just jumping all over that person. And it's incredible how often the very thing they're jumping all over somebody for, a version of that resides in them. Now, they're smart enough to dress it up in something a little bit more virtuous, but oftentimes that ugly that they're jumping over little brother for, it's it's right there inside of them as well. But older brother, he can't see that. He's blind to it. Truth without love, it doesn't work for him. And truth without love, it doesn't work for younger brother either. Think. like, What caused younger brother to head towards home? What made redemption possible? It wasn't older brother's truth telling. Younger brother wasn't sitting there starving to death and thinking, you know, if I go back home, My older brother will tell me what a disgrace I am and what a waste of space I am on the planet. And he might even try and get the people in town to like like beat me up and run me out. Who wouldn't want some of that? Nobody get in my way. I'm heading home. No. It was the hope of redemption at his father's hand that led younger brother home. See, Truth without love is powerless. Truth without love is powerless to help a person who's lost their way find redemption. Truth without love won't turn a person's heart towards home. It'll simply shatter their spirit. When when, when we lean into truth at the expense of love, We reduce truth to a weapon that we simply bludgeon a person with. And the ironic part about that is that does not make that person more receptive to truth. It makes them more resistant to the truth. It causes them to dig their heels into whatever error they've embraced. See, if I really care about the truth, if I really care about you understanding the truth, if I really care about you moving towards the truth, realigning your life with the truth, I'm not going to give you truth at the expense of love because that's not going to lead you towards truth. It's going to entrench you in error. When I'm giving you truth at the expense of love, this really isn't about the truth. It's really not about you. It's about something different. Usually it's about me, and about me getting to make you pay. Truth without love, it doesn't work. So, if you're here today, and you're a truth person, earlier you said, err, and you meant it. What do you do? I mean, if you're honest and you know I've got a propensity to use truth like a weapon instead of a tool. I have a history of shattering spirits rather than leading people home. What do you do? Now, brace yourselves. This is going to come as a shock to some of you, but I tend to lean a little bit more towards truth than I do love. I know, <gasps> right? So let me just share with you some of the things I've been trying to do. As I'm trying to live into this better than I do. First one is simply this, I've been trying to ask myself why. And by that I mean, before I share truth with someone, I'm trying to ask myself, okay, why am I going to share this truth right now? Is this about them or is this about me? Is this about something punitive or is this about something restorative? Is this about trying to help lead them home or is this about trying to make them pay? For Jesus, the motivation for sharing truth was to help somebody find their way back home again. It was redemption. If my motivation doesn't line up with Jesus' motivation, I need to zip it, I need to work on my motivation, and then I can think about running my mouth. So I'm trying to ask why. And then the second thing I'm trying to take into consideration is is, am I trying to reflect value? Again, all three of Jesus' stories what were meant to help his listeners understand the way we value our money, the way we value our stuff, the way we value our kids. That's how God feels about this person we're about to share truth with. And so before I, I spill my truth out, I'm just trying to go, okay, what, am I, what I'm about to say here, does this reflect the value that God has for this person? The way I'm about to say it, am I communicating to this person the value that God holds for them? And if the answer to either one of those questions is no, then I need to take a step back and I need to work some more love into my truth. Because my, my, my truth at the expense of love it isn't going to work. Now, one of the passages that I found incredibly helpful when it comes to communicating value comes from the book of 1 Peter. We talked about this passage during the Equip series. We're going to talk about it in the series to come. It is such a critical passage to so many of the things that are just raging in our culture right now. In the passage, Peter's speaking to Christians, and he says to them, finally, you should be of one mind. Let me tell you how to find unity in the body of Christ sympathize with each other in other words you need to learn to feel what the people around you are feeling if they're suffering you're suffering if they're hurting you're hurting if they're distressed you're distressed with them sympathize with each other love each other as brothers or sisters pretend you came from a functional rather than a dysfunctional family and extend to them the kind of consideration you would your sibling. Have, be tender hearted. In other words, have compassion for where they're at and what they're going through. And keep a humble attitude. Be open to the idea that maybe they know something you don't know as I'm trying to just live into that passage, I'm telling you, to the extent that I do that well, I communicate value. All of a sudden, truth begins to function the way it was meant to. So again, love without truth, it doesn't work. It's powerless. Powerless to save a person from the destruction that sin will bring to bear on their lives. And truth without love, it's powerless as well. It's powerless to help a person who's lost their way find it back home again. And so the temptation for us is to begin to think, well, okay, then how am I going to learn to balance love and truth? And frankly, I think that's the wrong question. I think the question we need to be asking is, okay, how am I going to live fully into both love and truth? And that's a complicated and tricky kind of thing. But next weekend, we're going to turn to Jesus. And we're going to see an example where Jesus lives fully into both love and truth and what it can look like for us to continue to do that. Just stand with me, church. Father, in this time, in our culture today, when it comes to masks and when are kids gonna go to school, when it comes to issues of race and police brutality, rioting, protests, where there is all kinds of truth being poured out at the expense of love. God, as your people, help us to see that truth at the expense of love is powerless. God, as followers of Jesus, help us to be people who express your truth but don't do so at the expense of love. Help us to ask why. And may our motivation reflect your motivation. Father, help us to reflect value in what we say and in how we say it. Help us to value this person we're gonna speak truth to the way that you do and help us to communicate that value to them and to anyone who's listening as we express that truth.